You're listening to Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Christina Previtt. If we haven't met before, I was a divorce lawyer in New Jersey for 15 years. I'm currently the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a divorce law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I'm talking to people who have overcome their fears and forged their own path in life. They had a wake-up call to make a radical change And so can you. My guest today is Karen Barrios. Karen is the co-owner of the Atlanta law firm Immigration and Injury Attorneys Barrios LLC. Karen was kidnapped at the age of 10 in Guatemala and endured 13 days with her kidnappers. She's here to share her experience with us today. Welcome, Karen. Hi. Thank you, Christina, for having me. It's a pleasure. And I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much. I know that um, this is probably not the easiest topic for you to talk about, but it's certainly a unique one. And I know that you've learned a lot from that experience. So I want to I want to share that with other people. Of course, I I know it's not easy, but it's worth it. So I'm happy to share it if it's going to help someone out there. Well, thank you. So why don't we start in the beginning? So you're you were 13 years old. Ten years old. You were ten, ten years, years old. old, yeah. And where were you living? What were you doing in Guatemala? So I'm um, actually originally from Guatemala City um, or Guatemala. We lived at the in the city, and um, my parents, um, you know, ha- had their their life built in Guatemala. And my mom was a business owner, and my dad was a very well known. Um, I guess you would call it a pastor for a big organization in Guatemala. And I was, you know, living my life, 10 years old. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, why were you kidnapped? Was it a, you know, political situation? But the reason why I was kidnapped, it was because, you know, organized crime. It was in 1998. Um, it was, I, I believe, Guatemala and Colombia were the, the, the countries where there were more, like, the most kidnappings every, I believe every 30 minutes, there was one. And it was unfortunately for money, so for ransom. And so the reason why it happened was was because of that. So this was an epidemic at the time. Yes, unfortunately it was. So 1998 was a really bad year in our country for kidnappings. And and usually all of them, I believe Colombia was more political um, but in our country, it was more for ransom, for more for money and organized crime. So you yeah. were only 10 at the time. And I don't know about you, but when I was 10, I don't know how aware I was of politics and things like that that were was going on in the world. Um, do you remember when you were a kid that being aware of this epidemic of kidnapping at the time? Yes. So because it was so prominent, I guess. It happened so much. I mean, I think all kids in our country, in Guatemala were aware of this issue. They were very, you know, cautious. Parents were, you know, extremely trying to figure out what to do with their kids, how to keep them safe, because it was happening so often. And so, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's very sad, right? At the age of 10, being aware of this, um, you know, I guess, climate, a very violent climate in that country. So do you remember at the time, because when I was a kid, I mean, the big thing was like, um, not not stranger danger, but just say no to drugs and, you know, yeah. just anybody offering you drugs. I mean, kids were hyper aware of that. 
So would you say that where you were living at the time that you as a kid, were you sort of on hyper alert about being kidnapped? And was that something that your your parents actually talked to you about? Yeah. Like, unfortunately, at that point in our country, it was happening so much that, you know, we were always like trying to make sure where we're safe, make sure there's not, you know, um, someone you don't know around you. Um, and, and it usually happens. So, you know, unfortunately, in our countries, it's very prominent, right? Like the lower class. And, and if people have a little bit of more than the middle class, then it happens a lot because, you know, people are trying to survive. And one of the easy ways they look at it is, okay, let's kidnap someone and get money out of it. And, and usually kidnapping was they were happening really fast. Usually turnaround of a kidnapping was 48 hours and top three days. But unfortunately, mine was a little bit longer than that. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that. But you, did you say that you would have to, there were certain groups that maybe were less vulnerable to this? Like, obviously, you'd have to kidnap someone who whose family has money to pay, right? Yeah. So were there certain, I guess, you would you say that your family was middle class? Um, I would say my parents were, I mean, I would say more than middle class. My mom was a, like a very successful business owner. Um, and, and my dad was, you know, and like the head of the whole organization of, of that denomination. Um, so we were, you know, we, 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 we were in private schools, my, my sisters and I, and, you know, we, we, we had people helping us in, in the house. It's a very different lifestyle than the U.S., really. Yeah. And, but, yeah, I would, I would say that we were in that, I guess, higher class than the middle to be targeted, like you said. So in order for someone, I guess, to get kidnapped, you have to have the means to pay for the ransom, right? Yeah. And, and one of the ideas they had that they proposed to my my my, fa- my father, my dad, was that um, he would go to all the churches that were underneath him, right, that he was supervising, and that he would ask for, you know, they call it an offering or money. And and it was very, you know, it was, it was kind of intense at that point. And, and my dad was like, no, that that's not my money. And so th- I think that that is why it was so prolonged, because they could never come to an agreement so, how to pay the ransom. From what you know about it, do they, I mean, how do they pick who, who they're going to kidnap? I mean, were you just like a random selection or were they watching? Did they sort of know who you were already? So, you know, now that I'm older, right, um, yeah. I know that kidnappings happen. Usually someone close to you that knows, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. your lifestyle, how to go about it. So it, it happened that they were actually, um, I wouldn't say neighbors, but they were around the area that we used to live in. And they, they had connections to our family. And so they kind of knew our lifestyle. Um, and so I guess, you know, I was picked, uh, our family, I guess, not just me, because my family had to endure it too, but we, yeah, we were targeted as a family. And I think it's usually there has to be someone that knows the family in order to get all the info that they actually have once they kidnap you, because they knew everything about us. They knew the time that I would get to school, that I would get back to school. They knew when my mother would open the store, they would know when they when she would close it. They knew everything. So, you know, I, I guess they study the the target for a very long time to to decide whether they do want to kidnap them or not. So let's go to that day. What, what do you remember about that day? Tell us about it. 
Sure. So I remember it was on a Friday. So it was September 4th. Um, and like I said, it was 1998. Um, and, we, you know, we were going to school. Uh, my dad, I, I, I remember he woke up because he had just gone in from a trip, a business trip, and, and he had gone home really late. And he was like, look, he told my mom, I'm going to go drop him off. And my mom was like, no, you should rest. And, and I remember my dad saying, no, no, I feel like I have to go drop him off. And, um, and when I say drop him off, because we used to go to a private school, he had to drop us off at a certain like stop for the bus to pick us up. And, um, I remember at that day, my grandmother was sick and my mom had made her like a tea or something. And my dad put in the middle, you know, of the car. And I remember we got to the stop and, and, you know, we were just talking and I, I think that the tea spilled and we were all looking down and when I looked up, I saw a man with a gun, like, by my dad's side. And he was like, open the door. And my dad was like, no. And I remember he called over another guy. And then another guy was – and when I'm talking, this is happening at 7 a.m. in front of everybody. Um, another guy comes over with guns, and they were like, open the door. And my dad was like, no. And so he resisted for a while. And um, I remember they, they, they shot at the car, not at my dad, thank God. And that's when my dad realized that they were they're able to do this in front of all these people and they like, you know, they could kill us. So he decided to open the door. They got into the car. They drove us off to a very deserted area. And I remember my dad like negotiated with them like, man, I'll, I'll give you money, take the car, whatever you guys want, just let us go. And they were like, nope, we don't want the car. Um, and I remember they stopped, and when they stopped, there was, like, three, four other cars full of men with guns. Like, at this point, we were surrounded. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was pretty intense. So it wasn't like it was just one guy. I mean, because I think when you watch movies, you think, like, oh, there's a white van that pulls up. You know, someone snatches you, pushes you in the van. Like, that's what I'm thinking. But it doesn't sound like it was like that at all. No, and it was pretty intense. Now that I'm a mom, right, I can just imagine what my, my dad had to go through with that at that point. And I remember one of the guys said, this is a kidnapping, and we're going to take the youngest. And, and I was the youngest, so we're, we're, we're three sisters. We're four sisters, and I'm the youngest. So I have three other sisters. And, I, and my other sister was, was with my dad and I. Um, and I remember my dad was like, it was horrible because I, I knew that my dad couldn't do anything at that point. Right. And I knew that if he would fight for me, he would get hurt. And, and, you know, throughout this year's I've I've gone through counseling and one of the most amazing moments for me going to counseling for this moment was amazing because I remember, you know, like you said, I was only 10 years old. I made the brave decision to act like I was so strong not to cry and go with the guy because I knew mm. that if I would cry, if I would like, you know, fight, my dad would get like, he would try to fight for me and he would get hurt. And I remember him saying, Karen, go with them. God's going to take care of you. And I told him, okay. And I was very strong. Christina, I did not cry. I remember I held the guy's hand because I knew I had to be strong for my dad wow. at that point because it was so intense. And I remember, you know, um, leaving. I, I hugged my dad. I, I, I said bye to my sister. And, and at that point, I, I, I didn't know whether I was able, like, ever going to see my family. It was a very intense moment. Of I my can't life. even imagine. And I, and I think it's one of the most intense moments of my whole life. 
Um, but when I went to therapy, it was amazing because I realized the courage I had when I was only 10 years old. And maturity. Being, that took yeah. so much maturity. Yeah. Do you it, think it, that it you really were mature scary. or was it like you were just like, oh, my God, I have to I have to do this? You know, it was so fast, right? It was seconds. And, 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 and but I remember me saying to myself, I have to do this for him and I have to act like I'm OK for him to be OK. Um, cause I knew, you know, as, as a parent, you fight, you go crazy, yeah. but I knew that they were probably going to kill him. And so I was like, no, I, I'm going to act like I'm okay for him. And, and it was such an amazing moment when I was going to therapy to realize how much I loved him and, and, and how much courage I, I had that day. Yeah. To, that's, to that is absolutely like an act of love. That's absolutely an act of love. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's. Like I said, it's one of the most intense moments of my whole life. Yeah. Well, again, I'm I'm really astounded at the level of maturity that you had to even have that thought process as a 10-year-old. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now that I'm like, you know, a mom and and, 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 and I look back at it and I was like, I was only 10. But life, you know, like how you said, like life makes you at some point be, be – be that mature or strong, right? And and it's great. Every time I feel like I can't do something, I go back to that moment. Wow, I, I said, know. Yeah. How could, yeah, if you can survive that and you can endure that, I can't imagine anything else that could be worse. Yeah. So then so what, it's, it's great. What happened, what happens then? You, you get into the car with these people? Yeah. So we get into a car. Um, at that point, I'm blindfolded. Christina, so I was blindfolded for the whole 13 days. Oh, my God. That must um, have been excruciating. It was. It was pretty um, pretty, pretty bad. Um, so I never knew what they were taking me. They, they obviously lied to me. They told, her, they told me that they, we were actually going out of the city. Um, but the, actually, it, it's so ironic. I was very close to my house. I was probably about five blocks from my house um, in a very residential area. But, you know, they lied to me. They said that we were going out of the city. Um, I, I get to a house, and I was blindfolded, so I don't know how I look. Uh, I had no idea. And they put me in a room, and um, a young lady comes in uh, after a few hours, and she, like, reassures me, everything's going to be okay. Your dad's going to come pick you up tomorrow. At that point, I was like, okay. I got this. I can totally do a day. Um, and I, I remember I did not eat or drink water. I like drink water like the whole day. It, it was just like my nerves were shot. I was, you know, I was in a really bad state so, and I would cry. And next yeah. day comes and the, the, the young lady comes in and she's like, no, your dad's not going to pick you up to, today. He's going to pick you up tomorrow. So I was like, okay, I got this. So, you know, it was very, I guess, excruciating, the whole, like, your dad's going to come tomorrow, but then he wouldn't show up. And I think that they do that on a purpose to kind of break the person that that's kidnapped. Um, and I remember the third day she came in and she was like, no, your dad doesn't love you. He's not going to come get you. And and that's when that's the mean. psychological, I guess, torture started. So I'm so grateful that I... You know, I thank God nothing physically actually happened to me. Yeah. Um, you know, at that point in our country, in my country, it was like kid, girls were get mm. raped. Um, 
there were, you know, like they would cut off a finger, uh, an ear to send to the family. It was very intense at that point in our country. Um, but thank that, thank God yes, that happened to I me. Agree. It was a lot more psychological. So, um, so you go to, day, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So you, you go to the house, but you never had the blindfold off, right? So you don't, did you ever actually see the inside of the house? So I, I, whenever she would come in, she would put on a wig and she would put like a sunglasses. Okay. Uh, so she would take my blinds off like the, for a little bit. It wasn't that long, but, um, I saw some of the house, but I never left my room. I only used the restroom and came back in. So I never left. Um, you know, and I saw some of the faces, um, but it was, you know, it was very intense psychologically the way they went about it. They were like, "No, your dad doesn't love you," and and constantly saying things like that. You know, they would pressure me to tell them what bank accounts my dad had. I I didn't know. I was ten years old, right? So I had no idea. Um, and and it was just very psychological, like very psychological. I I think that the fifth day, they came in and told me, um, "We killed we killed your mom. We just killed your mom," and so. From day day five to day thirteen, I cried because I thought my mom was dead. Um, so it was very it was very intense psychologically, like speaking the torture that I endured during those thirteen days. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, thank God nothing physically happened, right? Yes, but thank God. It was a lot of psychological um, torture for sure. And did each day must have felt so long? Oh my gosh, Christina, I, I totally lost track of time because um, I, I, I was blindfolded, so I didn't know if it was day or night. So it was very, very tough. Um, and during 13 days um, of it, because I never knew when they were coming in, I was terrified every time they came into my room because I didn't know what was going to happen, what yeah. were they doing. Um, you know, they threatened me that they were going to sell me for my organs, which happens a lot actually in our country, in our, in our, in my country. Um, when kids get kidnapped, they actually sell them off for their organs, which is so barbaric. Yes. It's pretty, it's, it's very intense. And and so, you know, they, they would threaten me that if my dad didn't come the next day, they would sell me to someone that needed my organs. They threatened me that they were going to take out my eyes if my dad didn't pay. It was just a lot of torture, to be honest with you, and 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 all by myself, right? Um, I was ten years old, and, and it was very long, thirteen days. I can imagine. I feel like three days would have felt like an eternity. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mine was thirteen days, and and you know, I think that whenever we endure things like this and not a lot of people probably can connect with, with torture or things like that. But even day to day, like a lot of times we lose hope, right? Yes. And we just say, whatever, like yes. nothing's really going to change or nothing's going to happen. But that's holding on, I think to, to kind of faith and hope it's what gets us through. Um, and, and that's what I had left. Honestly speaking, because I I know I didn't know when my dad was gonna come. You know, they kept lying to me, saying that my dad didn't love me, my dad didn't want to pay, and and it was very sad. And I was only ten years old. You know, my innocence was shattered completely through those thirteen days. Did you believe them? No, thank God. Um, you know, I my I have amazing parents, um, and and I knew that was not true. 
Um, so I never t- believed them, but I, I remember when, and we're probably going to get the part of the story when I got rescued Yes, and I was back home, I told my parents, like, yeah, they kept telling me, like, you guys didn't want to pay for me, that you didn't love me. And I, actually, my dad hired a private investigator, and he had recorded every conversation he had with them. Do you, Have you heard and those he, recordings? Yes. He actually played some of them to me. And um, he said, no, I love you very much, and I always try to pay. But they we never got to an agreement. But I never believed them. So I'm glad I never believed them, right? Because they couldn't destroy me in that sense. So what was happening that you didn't know at the time, but what was happening with your parents? Were they, is it, is it, you know, like the way you kind of envision is like they just, they're calling and how much money were they asking for? There were, I believe, Christina, if I'm not mistaken, if I do the math, close to a million dollars, right? And in our, in our currency is a lot of more money. Um, so that was U.S. dollars. Whole, that, that's what the yeah. translation would be? Um, so um, half of a million, I think it was close to a million dollars, not yet quite a million dollars. But in my in our currency, it was like huge amounts of money, right? Maybe like yeah. seven. And this was in 1998. Yeah, it was a lot of money. Um, if I'm not mistaken, obviously, like those details, I kind of have to get my dad to, to come on. And we should have had your dad on. It. Yeah. Um, they, they couldn't agree because they wanted my dad to get money from the church. And my dad absolutely said no. Um, and I think that, you know, my dad was trying to negotiate, I'll give you all my money, like my personal money. And, you know, I don't know what happened, Christina. I, I think God's grace, like it just, they never got to an agreement and, and they tried and and it's so crazy. Did they get money? They didn't get any money. So they got a trial run. So they kind of rehearsed uh, with my dad, and I believe they got $5,000 um, out of my, my parents' money because they were kind of practicing how they were going to do the drop-off and uh, of the money. And I believe they got $5,000 and a few of, like, my mom's, you know, um, fine jewelry. Yeah. And uh, that's all they got. But actually, day 10 of my kidnapping they were actually discussing of actually killing me because I could hear their kind of their meetings because my room was yeah. actually close to where they would meet to kind of just talk about it. And they were like, well, we're, we're going to kill her. Like, this is crazy. It's been 10 days. She's going to take us to jail. Like, this is way too long. Because like I said, like kidnapping, you kind of want to move it fast. Like, you don't want to, you know what I mean? Because people get desperate, right? Yeah. The family members who are looking for the person and I remember one of the guys was like, no, no, no. Like he was begging for my life. And he was like, no, no. Um, give me three more days. Her dad is ready to pay. He'll have all the money. I-, I-, I promise you. But I'm not sure. He was really begging for them not to kill me. And all of them were kind of agreeing to kill me that day. And so they give him three more days for my dad to kind of pay for it. And I-, I believe they were like finalizing everything. And the day 13, the day that they were going to kill me, the police actually rescued me. Wow. Um, yeah. And it, it's totally like a movie, Christina, all the details and, and the way that it happened. But so I was rescued at like noon. And I was rescued because someone gave a tip called 
the house was very suspicious. There were men coming in and out with guns. And like I said, it was a very residential area. Yeah. And a, a concerned neighbor called as an anonymous tip. And that's the way that they started having surveillance for, like of the house that I was in. I believe like 200 um, policemen were undercover around the area to kind of verify who was in the house, like what was going on. And the day that I was rescued, they noticed that all the men had left the house. And it was only the young, the young ladies that, that would stay in the house with me. And that's when they decided to go into the house and actually rescue me. So it was, it was pretty amazing. That, that is absolutely incredible. So, and you're still blindfolded at this point. Or did they just guess, leave you in the room alone? I was blindfolded, yes. Okay. I was blindfolded and my hands were tied. So the last three days. Behind you? They tied my hands behind me and I slept like that. It was very, that, those last three days were really tough for me, I, 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 mentally, physically. So I was 10 years old, Christina, and I lost, in the period of 13 days, I lost about 15 to 20 pounds. Wow. Which is crazy for a child, yes. right? Um, I mean, physically, I was done. I barely ate. Um, so in Guatemala City, you have to actually buy purified water because tap water is so dirty yeah they said like they gave me tap water i had parasites i mean after me being rescued i had to go through like a lot of medical treatment because i wasn't okay physically so the last three days were really tough but physically i was not okay i was blindfolded plus i was they they tied my hands and it was pretty intense the last three days were tough I, I think it's such a testament to your strength that you endured that for so long. Yeah. And and even more, that you you seem so unaffected. I'm sure that that's not true. But yeah. you, you're, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, normal. You know, you're, <laughs> you're living a, a no functional. Normal, but right, yeah, I know, right? That. That's why I say it in quotes. But, you know, or you're not any more abnormal than the rest of us. But, you know, th- this clearly isn't something that, that just took over your entire life and, and you've been, you know, um, despondent for the rest of your life, which really is an incredible testament to you. Yeah, I mean, it's been work, Christina. I wouldn't say it's been easy to be where I'm at. And then, like how you said, being unaffected by it and, and not letting my whole life be affected by it. And I think that that's one of the principles that I've learned since I'm 10. It's, it all depends how you look at it, right? I mean, if you let things destroy you, they will destroy you. But if you look at them in a very different light and you make it a blessing, it's going to push you to be better. I mean, I I thank my parents, Christina, because I'm a very strong-willed person. Yes, I am very strong personality, but I remember me growing up and my parents were like, you're okay. Like, yeah, you went through that, but you're okay. And and I just kind of convinced myself that I was okay through my teenage years. And and obviously I had to go to counseling for, for, for quite a long time. I mean, because it does. It affects you a lot. Yeah. How could it not? How could it not? I do want to back up a little bit and sort of go in chronological order. Yeah. What, what happened the day that you were rescued? I mean, you're in the room, you're, you've got your hands tied behind your back, you're blindfolded. 
do you just kind of like hear this commotion? Oh my gosh, yes. So it was very intense because remember, I knew that the third day after that meeting, they were going to kill me, right? Yeah. Because that was the whole thing. They were going to kill me on day 10. They gave me three extra days. So I knew that day something was going to happen, right? Um, and I remember like intense, like, you know, just picture like the movies, like SWAT team, like yeah. they were breaking windows. They were, And it was a lot of, it was, I believe like maybe 150 policemen uh, around the area. Um, and I remember just listening and saying, where's the girl? Where's the little girl? And, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, are they here to kill me? Are they, uh, are they the kidnappers? I'm not sure who, who it is. And Christina, even if I tried to speak up, I couldn't. I was in such a shock. I couldn't talk. And I remember the, the room that I was kept was very hidden. So it wasn't very open or visible. And I remember they would pass very close to my room, but they were like, where is she? Where is she? And I remember oh. one, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing one of them literally kicked down the door. It was that loud. And he was like, I found her. And I remember um, a woman, and she was like a psychologist that worked with the government at that point, hugged me. Oh, and she was like, so you're good. safe. Yeah. She was like, you're safe now. We're the police. We're going to get you to your parents right now. And again, that was one of the best moments of my whole life, right? Of relief of me being like, oh my gosh, like it's over. This is done. And, um, and that's how, you know, they, they asked me my name, they verified my name. And I remember my heartbeat was going so fast because the doctor came in to check me. And I remember him saying, if she doesn't calm down, she can, she can have a heart attack. And I was like, wow. And, um, I remember they gave me like, you know, water and they're trying to calm me down. But I remember them asking me, who's your dad? And, and I gave them my, my dad's full name, cell phone number or, or house number, I remember, and they called him and they, and I just remember him saying, you, you need to come get your daughter. And he yelled through that phone. I mean, he was so happy. And I remember like he was in that house within like 15 minutes. Cause remember I was very close yes. to the house. And, um, it was the best moment when I saw my dad and I was able to hug him. It was, it was amazing. I can't even imagine. I yeah, can't even it, it imagine was, that whole experience. It was amazing. Pretty amazing moment of my life, for sure. And it's not like you just go back to normal. Like, you didn't go home and, you know, play video games. Did, oh, no. did you have to go to the my hospital? My whole life changed, right? Like, yeah. You're, you're a different right person after, now. You're a different person. Yeah. I mean, right after that, I, I remember it was very uncertain what was going to happen next, even within the next 48 hours. Cause my dad was like very afraid for us in the sense of like, are they going to come and hurt us now that they found you? Cause the police found me. And that was very like a no, no, right? Like you don't, you don't call the cops for this. Um, Cause my dad was threatened all the time. If you call the cops, we're going to kill you guys. Right. Um, but you know, it was very uncertain. It, the, I, I remember within I believe, Christina, within less than 48 hours, my dad was like, we're leaving. And, and I remember <gasps> yeah. he, he brought me to Disney World for a whole month. Oh. Yes. He was like, 
you're okay, you're safe, let's enjoy life. And he brought me to Disney World for a whole month. And I, I just, I mean, I could, I, I, I still remember to this day. Like, it was amazing. And was, my whole family came and my whole like? life changed. I mean, were you able to enjoy that? I mean, were, what, I mean, you had to be a different person when that was done. Were yeah, you- but I was, I was able to enjoy it because I became or I noticed I felt like I had a second chance of to life. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was an amazing moment for me, for me to be like, I'm again with my family. So I thought I was never going to have that. And when they found me and when I was back to them and plus Disney World, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. I was able and, and you know, no one has ever asked me that. Um, but yes, I was, I felt like I had it like a second chance. And I loved it. And and I still remember to this day. It was amazing. There are so many people that get to be, that never, that never feel like they have that, that moment where they look yeah. at life differently, especially not at 10. Exactly. <laughs> uh, very intense. Um, what would you call it? Um, I don't know. Moment to live at the age of 10. It, it very, and like you said, I was changed. But yeah. now I see it as a blessing, all this stuff or the principles that I learned through those 13 days and through my life, Christina, because like I said, it's been a journey to be where I'm at. Yeah, I want to talk about that more. So, uh, but your development as a child, because we have to remember at this point, you weren't even an adult yet. So you still had to mature, you, I mean, you know, as an adult and you did go to therapy so, so was it just sort of this decision that it's probably best we put her in therapy or did, were you, I mean, did you see that yeah. maybe there were symptoms and there were, you know, maybe some, some things? Yeah. That- so like I said, my parents, I, I mean, I, so from like age 10, so I would say 19 to so about nine years, I was okay. Like I never, and I think that the way my parents went about it helped me. To, to not let it destroy me because they reinforce like you're okay you're you're very strong you you, you survive kind of like very like a lot of reinforcement right yeah through the whole nine years and I never noticed the need of going um I mean of course I rebelled right like a, like a normal teenager um but I I probably noticed the need to therapy when I was about 21 20. And that is when I hit a pretty low part of my life, I could say, where I started seeing noting, like noticing symptoms of me needing to go to therapy. I'm not sure what changed at that age, Christina, where I was like, okay, I really need therapy. Or maybe I never noticed, right, like growing up. But that's when I met my, my amazing husband, um, and he actually not push me, but kind of motivated me to go to therapy. And it was probably the best decision I've ever made. What what Um, do you think it was? I mean, what, what were you having difficulty with? I think I was very angry. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a very angry um, person. I, I didn't know any other emotion, but anger at that, at that point of my life. Um, I felt very lost. I didn't know what to do at that point. Um, I, I, I started 
you know, acting out, um, I decided to, to go to law school at that point in my life. And I remember it was like my first year of law school. I was around very negative people, very bad relationships. It was just bad, very unhealthy. And I, like I said, I met my husband through that time and he became my best friend. And, you know, one day talking, I was like, yeah, I got kidnapped. Kind of like, whatever. It's not a big deal. And he was like, wait, wait, what? And I was like, yeah. And he goes like, Karen, that that's, that's pretty, you know, intense. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know. And he's like, have you ever had therapy for it? And I was like, no. And he's like, I, I, I think you need it. And, and I remember he kind of planted that seed in my life. But I remember one point I was like, yes, I, I probably need therapy. And that's when I, you know, kind of started going, which I met my amazing therapist. And she's been my therapist since I'm like 20. Wow. Um, well, that's yeah. longer than most marriages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Uh, and she's actually a, a trauma specialist. Mm. So I didn't go to any therapist. I actually tried to go to one, and it was very, um, very intense because of the level of my trauma. So I was re-traumatizing myself. Do you feel um, like you never really addressed it? No. I had never, like, it was very talked about in my family. So it wasn't like I never talked about it. But I had never professionally addressed it um, until that moment. And I believe I was 20, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that's when I started getting better. I mean, it was amazing. That's when I started noticing, you know, that moment where I said bye to my dad. It was such an act of love and courage. Yeah. And I started seeing it as a very, as a positive thing instead of being like, why did this happen to me kind of thing. So you think before um, therapy, you were thinking a lot about what, how, like more like a victim. Why did this happen to me? Yeah. And I think I was a lot of, um, I was a, a lot of, I guess, not, how would I say, bottled up emotions that I had that they would come out as anger, right? But it was because I had never dealt with the emotions of what I felt. And, you know, I, I worked at it. I, I, I believe I went to therapy for a good three years, two years, and just, like, getting better. And, and you know, and, and like I said, it's a journey. This is not, like, a one-time thing and you're done. Uh, yeah. This has been a journey. Like, I became a mom, Christina, and it was really tough. I had to overcome a lot of my trauma that was reflected in having a child, right? Like such a big change of my life. And so it's been a journey for sure. Yeah. It's not like it's a rash that you can just clear up. It's, it's part of who you are. Exactly. Yes. And so, you know, but, but, but I, I, this is my life. And like I said, we have to learn to look at our obstacles as our blessings. And, And that's, you know, what I try to do every day. And, and, and it's gotten me to where I'm at today, which I'm really grateful. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said earlier, if you meet you, you would never know. I mean, we never know what someone's going through. Everyone's got their own challenges. But you, it's astounding that you had this experience because you would never know. You would never know. You know, you just seem like, you know, run of the mill, like she's had the same stuff we've had, you know, nothing too crazy, just normal life. Um, But, and you're pretty open about it. You talk about it. It's not like something you hide. Yeah, I think I I, I learned 
and and to be honest with you, it's it's happened in the last few years. Really? Where yeah, so for a while in my life I kinda wanted to be the normal, right? Like here it is, a twenty five year old girl graduating law school and that's it. Very vanilla, right? I I was trying to be that. And yeah, nothing to see here. Exactly. And I realized that the more I, I try to do that, the more unhappy I was. And then it was until lately that I was like, man, this is so powerful. Like what happened Absolutely. to me, it's, it's so powerful that if I could help people see that it takes courage, it takes work, it takes dedication, but it's worth it. So for me, it's, it's kind of owning the story that's given it power, really, honestly. And that's what I've been trying to do lately. It's, it's, you know, it's, you know, embracing it and, and trying to teach people and showing them, like you said, like seeing my life and, and, and seeing like I was destined for a very bad life, right? My, my, my counselor, my, my therapist was like, Karen, you're the poster child of someone who destroyed their life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it could have gone very differently for you. Yeah. Addiction or whatever it is, right? Like, and what I learned, Christina, is that the easy thing to do when, when you know, kind of things happen to us in like tough situations, the easy thing to do is give up. Yeah. You know, the easy thing is to say, you know what, I'm going to go and drink alcohol because I don't want to face it. I'm going to go, you know, whatever, drugs, because I don't want to face the issue. But what takes courage and, and determination, like I said, is, fighting it, confronting the issue. And they, this goes to every situation in life, right? Yeah, and all it I does. can say that it's worth it at the end. It's very hard to go through it and, and fight it. But at the end, you see the light and you're like, man, that was so worth it that I did that, that I fought through it uh, instead yeah. of letting it destroy you. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've learned now that through coaching and, and, and I should say that you and I are, we met because we're part of the same consulting and coaching group. Yeah. And I certainly have learned that I didn't go through anything like what you went through, but I've learned that it, a lot does depend on how you look at something and you can choose to look at it as woe is me. How did this happen to me? And why was I the one that had to go through that and, and really let that dictate your whole life or yeah. you can try to find the gift in it. Right. I mean, you're going to a David Nagel event, but that's something he always says. And I always mention him on my show. People are probably tried, tired of hearing about him, but um, he always says that there's a gift in everything, right? And and our role is to to recognize the gift. And I think you've done a great job of doing that. It, yeah, I, and and that's kind of, I guess, our duty, right? As humans in life, it's trying to see what you're saying, the gift, because if not, it'll, it will destroy you. It will destroy your life, your family, right? Your career, your future. And our duty is to like stand up and kind of fight, you know, whatever's coming against us and try to turn it and, and, and see it as a gift. I think that that is our duty and, 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 and it's worth it. And it, and it is tough. I'm not going to say it's yeah. easy, Christina, because it's, you know, I have worked really hard to be where I'm at, but all I can do is show people that it can be done and that 
you know, you just have to have have courage and, when, and, and want to fight it. When would you say you, you did start to see it more as a gift and not a curse? Um, I would say, Christina, after I had my first baby was really tough. So I have two boys. Um, and after I had my first baby, I think at that point I still felt felt like it was negative for me because I was like, man, you know, I would see life very differently than like the normal mom, right? Um, but after I went to therapy, um, I would say it in the last three to four years is when it, it clicked for me. But lately, I would say in the last two years, I just felt empowered. And then that's a huge change, like mindset is, you know, change for me. I felt empowered that that actually happened to me. Um, wow, that that's very it, different. That's a shift. Yes, that was the biggest shift for me because I, I actually felt proud that I had fought the fight, I guess, and, and show people this is where I'm at today. This is where I'm standing, right? Um, and I think it's been the last two years where I felt very empowered by what I had gone through and what I've learned and wanting to share it, right? Like you said, there's people that don't want to talk about things because it's very negative. And this is really intense, right? People don't don't, don't sit down and kind of like want you to like drop this emotional bombs. But I think for me, it feels empowering of telling people, look, like my life was almost destroyed, but here I am today. And so it's, it was great. I think in the last two years when it all happened for me. But when did you feel the inspiration to write a book? I know you haven't written the book yet, but you want to. So when did that yeah, come about? Yeah, so I'm in the work, right, of trying to figure it out. I think that happened in the last, um, again, like I'd say like two years. It's been in my heart. Um, but lately, I'd say in the last six months, feeling more of an urge that I have to do it. Kind of like I can't contain it, right? Yeah. Um, so like you need to give birth to months. a book. Yes. Where do you think that comes from? I think, I mean, like, we, like we're talking, right? Like turning things into a gift, right? And, you know, we're, we're both in the service industry trying to help people, right? I think we, I have the heart for it. Um, and for me, it's giving that gift for someone to motivate them and, and, and show them a better way to live their life. I think that for, that's where it comes from. For me to kind of write, write this book and show someone, hey, you can get out of that or you can overcome trauma. You can be the best version of yourself, even if you were, you know, almost destroyed. So for me, it's a gift of giving back. And so it feels more of an urge that I have to let it out. So that's the reason why maybe the book is coming. Do you think that that might be somewhat therapeutic for you too? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that as humans, Christina, we're made to kind of help each other. Yeah. And I believe that that's where I started feeling empowered is because I saw that how that could help someone else. And, you know, the, the little bits and pieces that I share with people, it ends up changing people's perspective in like 30 minute conversation an hour when I share it to people that 
for me, that's when I started noticing, man, this is powerful. I could really share this and, and, and maybe change someone's life. Like, and I remember about four months ago, someone came over to me and she's a business owner too. And she was like, for the first time, I heard someone share a very tragic story in a very powerful way. And she was like, and I started noticing how I should share my own story and what I do. And she had a, a very traumatic event happen to her. But for me, that was amazing. And, and for me, that's what's worth it. Like one person seeing it and changing their way of seeing life, it, it's worth it. For yeah, me. having an, a positive impact on someone else. Of course, yeah. For I, me, that's everything. Well, so, yeah. It is an incredibly powerful story. And, and I think what makes it so powerful is not just what happened, but the way that you've just evolved. It's just been part of your evolution. And you've you've learned to see it as a gift and, you know, make something positive out of your life and not let yourself become a victim to it for the rest of your life, which unfortunately is a story that we hear a lot we don't yeah. hear as often the story of the person who goes through something really traumatic and is able to, like, you know, like I said before, I don't like to use, be so flip about it, but, you know, goes on to live a normal, productive, healthy, functional life. Yeah. And it is inspiring yeah. to other people. And I hope that you will write your book and do it soon because you and I did have some private conversations about that, how <laughs> there's been maybe we'll say in David Nagel speak a little resistance around the actual writing. Yeah. But it's, it's scary, right? Like, like we talk about all the time in coaching and all that stuff. We're so scared of the unknown as humans. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think like you said, like I said earlier, it's an urge that I have that I'm like, man, I really need to do this. And so yeah, it's in the works. So I've done the out, like yeah. the very basic outline. I'm trying to figure out what route to take it. So I'm hoping it's it's coming soon. Good. I hope so because I know I'm dying to read it, and I know that there's got to be so many other people that want to read it, and I think would get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think it would be a really inspiring story, and I would encourage you to even speak about it more. You yeah. can write the book, but do you? go to any kind of speaking events and share this experience? It, it sounds like you did something recently. Yes. So what I, I, I do a lot, like I just started it actually. Um, we started kind of like a very small group of business owners and, and, and I'm kind of injecting and motivating them with like positive thinking. And, and I share it, you know, a little bit and, and, and the people know what happened to me, but you're right. I, I haven't really, kind of used it to really go out there and speak about. Um, I've done a few interviews on the radio and things like that. But, you know, I think that whenever I really, like, dive into the book, this is going to become something that I do, obviously, more often. So I, I enjoy it. I am being honest. I, I enjoy it a lot. Well, I mean, sometimes we have to sort of let things develop and evolve naturally on their own, Right. But at the same time, being mindful, are we resisting something? Or are we are we dragging our feet? Are we avoiding something? So it's sort of a tricky balance. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But 
don't worry, I'll call you once in a while and I'll follow up on this <laughs> to make sure that, I appreciate that. And you know, we didn't even get to your law firm. We have a couple minutes left. But I, I want to say too to our listeners that you have a thriving law practice, which we did mention when we introduced you. But you're practicing law, you're helping people, you have your law firm in Atlanta. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? And if there's anybody who's listening who could use your services in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia, how can they reach Thanks. you? Yeah. So like you said, um, we are, so my husband and I, we're both the attorneys of the firm. It's um, called Immigration and Injury Attorneys. We're located in Atlanta. We actually have two offices um, in Georgia, one in Atlanta area and one in Augusta, Georgia. And you know, our passion is to help the immigrant and the injured, and we both feel that those are two types of fields, right, in the legal world that we can actually give back to people. Um, and so, you know, we fight for the immigrants, we fight for the injured, and like you said, it's been amazing. We've grown very fast in the last five years, and and it's been amazing. So I'm, I'm grateful for everything I have, to be honest with you. You're a girl boss, a boss babe. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and then I have to ask you, I was thinking of it earlier, and I, and we got on, on another subject, but obviously at some point you moved to the United States. So was that something you did, or did your family all come to the United States? So to, And obviously maybe we could do a part two, right? Yeah, yeah. So after, <laughs> after we come to the U.S., they actually arrested about 10 of the people involved in my kidnapping. Um, and a year later, so we come to the U.S., my dad's plan was to stay just here for a few, maybe months, and go back. But when we went back to trial, there was a lot of death threats for a family. And um, at that point, we went, to, we went through trial. That's when I decided to become an attorney. Um, you know, it, it, was, it, it was not healthy. My dad was like, we need to just get out of here, and we moved to the U.S. So I've been in, in the U.S. since I was about 10, so um, for for longer than I was in Guatemala now. But, yeah, that's when we decided to move here. So you actually had to go through a whole trial. Yes, I wow, did. Wow, that must and, have been really... very intense, yeah. But I, I maybe for some people listening, it might make them f- feel a little better that at least they you know, I don't know if you feel that they were brought to justice because you still had to go through the experience and that will never go away. But, yeah. Um, but they caught the guys. Does, they did. Does that they, give they you any kind of satisfaction or is it sort of irrelevant? It, uh, I don't know yet how I feel about it in the sense of, um, you know, they got life sentence, uh, all of them. And it feels heavy. I don't yeah. know how to describe it, right? But someone's pain for something they did to you. Um, it feels sort of, yes, it feels sort of, of a justice kind of principle, but it also feels like it's heavy to carry that. Um, and that's kind of the best way I can describe that. Um, yeah. But yeah. But that's, um, you know, those are the consequences of their actions. So that, yeah. that's what I would say. Yeah. That's but- true. We have to end here. Thank you so much. I I really can't even tell you what an incredibly powerful story that is. You went through it. So I don't even know if you realize how powerful it truly is. But thank you for sharing. I'll be looking for your book. And um, 
you know, if anybody needs an Atlanta lawyer, what's your phone number? Yes, so it's 678-888-2222, 678-888-2222. And if, if there, and if there's any publishers out there that are interested in talking to Karen yes, about her so book, excited. call her. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you again, and thank you, listeners, for listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt.